Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Happy Thursday, everybody. Hope you guys are getting through the week. Yeah, I know. It's a funky time, but uh, lots of good stuff going on. we got a great show planned for you. Lots of interesting guests. Uh, question tonight. It's up on our Loveline AG page, so weigh in on that. Let's start off with some news. This one's a doozy. <laughs> Uh, six coronavirus precautions that probably aren't worth your time, according to experts. Dun, dun, dun. Now remember, before I walk you through these, this is not to um, you know, replace any information you've gotten. We all have to do our own homework, look at sources. But uh, this, is, this is in the news. According to doctors and experts from universities all over the country, here are six coronavirus precautions that you probably won't need to take. Notice that probably. Maybe you do. You got to know that. Because the chances of contracting the virus are extremely low. Number one, you don't need to wear gloves to the store. That was something that was really huge and everyone was gloved up. Now we're realizing it's more about aerosols and less about contact surfaces. So some are saying you don't necessarily need to wear gloves, but you have to decide what level of risk feels and protection feels most important to you. Also, don't worry about disinfecting food packages frozen or otherwise. That was also what came out when I was researching virologists and epidemiologists. They were saying, yeah, we're not doing that in our own homes and we're not saying that that needs to be done. It doesn't live on food or is not transmitted that way. Um, You might have to worry about packaging, but again, we're not worrying so much as long as we're washing our hands about that kind of route of transmission. It's more the aerosols. Also, quarantining library books for three days is enough. Bam, I had not even begun to think about that one. Also, no need to quarantine your mail. Cleaners and repair people can come into your house, and it's all right to swim in a pool. In general, respiratory pathogens don't survive in the water. Ah, I hope that liberated some of you. That's some good news. Also, we got a heat wave. Excuse me, it's a big old one here in California, also Nevada and Arizona. It continues, so be aware that that might impact you. Electricity, it might be some rolling blackouts. Also, indoors, do the best you can, get some shade, pay attention to hydration. Ooh, National Weather Service said to LA people that, quote unquote, all daytime outdoor activities should be limited or canceled. I mean, really sit with that. <laughs> you know, some people are like, how many more limits can get placed upon us? But that's the weather. You can't complain about the weather. And for those sports fans, God bless it, the Pac-12 could actually be playing football and basketball sooner than expected. The West Coast Conference announced that each of the 12 schools will soon have the capacity to perform daily rapid COVID tests on athletes thanks to a deal with the with a corporation. Schools will be able to test every athlete every day and receive results in 15 minutes. This new partnership could mean that the season could start as early as January 1, where football season was originally slated to start in September. So that's some good news because I know people are you know, wanting to get back to all their favorite, um, you know, activities and uh, distractions. Some heavy news. It's encouraging, but not exactly groundbreaking. Unemployment's dropped. 
but nearly one in five of these jobs were temporarily census workers that won't be employed by the end of the month. We still have 11 million more jobs to recover from the pandemic. Yep, the US added 1.4 million jobs in August as unemployment fell to 8.4%. But again, a lot of those are census and temporary jobs, which I had a census person come by my door. I was happy that they were working. I was thankful that they're doing what they're doing. But again, that's a very limited short-term gig. And then the employment rate gets to spike back up. So sending out a lot of care and support and good vibes to those that are struggling with financial and employment worries and anxieties. It's not, it's not, it's not a simple time around that. Love this news. Nearly 10,000 people sign a petition to liberate a caged tiger mascot from University of Memphis. It's 2020. How is this stuff still happening? And I'm glad things are changing. The names, the mascots, animal violence. I mean, come on. Yeah, it's a sport. Sports aren't supposed to harm people. I mean, Unfortunately, they do with concussions and injuries, and that's a secondary piece, but let's just at least upon the entry point of its mascot, its symbolism, its rallying, that those aren't tied to the harm of someone or something. And so that's why we're looking at the impact on indigenous cultures and other cultures being appropriated, you know, and very stereotypical mascot costumes and phrasings. And now there's a, uh, what is this, a tiger caged up? Come on, y'all. Like animal violence is years ago. We knew better now. Let's do a little bit better. And we're going to close out with my uh, friendly reminder, the weekend is coming. So now's the time to be very thoughtful and conscious about the kind of weekend you want to have. Do you want, what kind of thing do you want to drift into your weekend? Do you want your weekend structured, settled in something? Do you want to plan some fun? We're going to also be talking down the road about some tips to get through the holidays around COVID because that's going to be a big one. Uh, a lot of us are used to traveling. The biggest travel day is Thanksgiving here in our country, Indigenous Peoples Day. Um, I'm still getting used to kind of switching those words out, but yeah, it's going to be an interesting fall and winter, you know, Halloween's going to be impacted. We're not going to be able to gather like we used to in LA going out to these parties and events and parades and, uh, indigenous people's day where family members often get together with the former Thanksgiving and also Christmas. It's going to be hard. We're going to be alone. We're going to be isolated. People aren't going to be able to see their families or they're delaying celebrating these days or holidays until it's far safer. So we'll be talking more about ways to get through that. But remember, this is all just about management. There's no perfect way through. We should be feeling bad about things that are worthy of bad feelings. We don't want to be robots. It's not about always looking on the bright side or always being happy. That's not real. That's not honest. That's toxic positivity. It's going to stink. It's going to stink for all of us and it's going to collectively stink and we're going to all get through together. But uh, at least this weekend, center some self-care, center some joy and pleasure and center a lot of rest. You don't need to spend your weekend working. If you are off the clock, it's your weekend. Rest and heal and have some fun. All right. Question of the night, as always, up on our Love Energy page. So weigh in on that. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right. And now we're going to go to our first guest, Talinda Bennington. Talinda, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back. How are you? I'm doing all right. We got that uh, heat wave going on. So it's making everything that's already intense just a little bit more stressful. Yeah. Yeah. And a bit of a fire, wouldn't you say? Yeah. (laughs) This year just doesn't want us off the hook without experiencing literally everything that's possible. Um, So let's check in about that right now. How how are you doing mental health wise in this time of, um, gosh, not just COVID, but a whole lot of different things uh, going on in the world? Um, I'm just really focusing on my family and myself, um, really just taking time to be with, with, be with each other and enjoy 
you know, the time that we have together. And it's doing me a lot of good. That's beautiful. That's kind of what I'm recommending to the people I'm working with as well in therapy is just kind of focus in on what's close and proximate to you. We're like self-quarantining with family members and friends. Just kind of work on the health of that. So it is National Suicide Awareness Month. Um, really, really important topic to talk about, though, often very difficult in our culture. Do you think we are getting better discussing mental health, specifically things like suicide? Or do you think it's something we still have a lot of anxiety around? Um, both, actually. Both of those those questions ring very true to me. I think that we've ha- made um, really great strides in being more open about mental health. I see a lot of it, especially in dialogue on, um, on TV shows, which is really great. Um, but, you know, I also think that we still have a long way to go because it's still something very hard to speak about. It's very personal. And that's just going to take time to, you know, really, really fully change our culture of it. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people don't have necessarily familiarity with it, as you said. And so I think media giving us the language or kind of modeling for us what it can look like, because I know it's hard for people to speak up. So I know that your family obviously has been directly impacted. Um, but what would you say to parents who have young children like yourself about talking about mental health and suicide? Do you recommend doing it from birth, a young age? How, how would you recommend they approach that? I personally, and I take what I'm about to tell you is straight from the, my kids as therapist as well as my own. So um, I'm just kind of biting what, what I've learned from her and from both of them, actually. Um, and that's just to, you know, age appropriate Um, Use age-appropriate words and terms, and whatever that means for you and your family. I always, um, you know, applaud professional advice. Um, And with my children, we just talk about taking, with with the younger ones, the twins especially, we speak about taking care of our mental health just as like our physical health. Um, You know, uh, emotionally and mentally, about um, their problems, you know, because it's important to keep speaking about our feelings even when we feel well. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to really just implement in my kids, like these good lifelong habits. So... Yeah, I think that's beautiful because we often don't see mental health issues coming, right? We're not always able to necessarily address it when we need to. So I like what you're saying. We have to address it at all phases of someone's development in life because unfortunately it's something that can sometimes just feels like it shows up. And, you know, I was looking at a study and I thought this was really powerful. It was saying that people that abuse substances, drugs or alcohol are six times more likely to complete suicide um in what ways do you think drugs and alcohol intervene because i know for me i think that in order for us to have really good resilient robust mental health we have to talk about everything so do you talk to your kids and do you recommend talking about addiction within families i do yeah because it changes your brain chemistry you know the more chemicals you introduce into your brain and if you already have um, a predisposition for depression, which can be genetic, those are things you need to watch out for. I very openly speak with my children about addiction um, of all all types, you know, from what they see kids vaping 
you know, we, we speak about that. We speak about drinking alcohol, you know, what that looks like if mommy has a glass of wine versus somebody falling over drunk. And I, it, it, in our home, it normalizes the conversation. And I think that's important. I really do because, you know, it's a fact of life. And my kids know that they're going to be of age one day to, to be able to, to drink alcohol, to be able to vape if they choose, whatever it is. But I want them to know the consequences of that and more specifically the consequences and their risks because of um, the depression, the history of depression um, that in bipolar that runs in, in their family. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I like your use of the word normalize uh, when you were talking about the different ways that alcohol can play a role in our life. I know right now in the time of COVID, I was a little worried as a mental health professional about some of the casualness people were you know, using word wise around drinking, people talking about waking up and drinking and COVID martinis and, you know, it's five o'clock somewhere. And I thought, you know, it's humorous and it's funny, but we also have to be aware that some people, right, their their use of alcohol isn't rooted in self-care or coping. It might be a sign of something worse. Um, so I'm glad we're having that conversation. And it's something I keep putting on my social media is like check in on your own alcohol or drug use, check in on the drug use of those around you, because not everyone has a family like the one you're talking about where they can be very transparent and talk openly. Right, right. I feel that, um, you know, the, the openness and the transparency is actually, you know, a gift that, that Chester has left just with because, you know, what else is there to do besides, you know, what, pretend like it never happened? I mean, that's right. not going to happen. So our only option is to talk about it. So I hope that helps, you know, whoever's listening, if, if they struggle with it, because it's a very uncomfortable topic to speak about with little kids. But there are, you know, a lot of books out there. There's, you know, uh, professional care. There's help out there, teachers resources to help you kind of navigate these these tougher conversations with your kids yeah because even even with social media and just the larger world just because you might not be talking to your kids about something they are hearing conversations around these things and songs movies and you know i think some parents worry that to talk about drugs alcohol um safer sex practices suicide that it's kind of giving them permission or supporting it, but I always see it as the opposite. You're giving them the language to talk about it. You're giving them space to practice talking about it. You're getting familiar with these things. And I think that that can really, really build resilience. We'll be right back with Talinda Bennington to talk more about COVID, mental health, and suicide. And I think it's important for people that are parents or other uh, people in positions of power or that children or individuals look up to for them to talk about the mental health struggles. Because I think culturally there's still a stigma or still this idea that only people that aren't competent or successful or thriving have mental health issues. But some people hide them very well and they can exist for all of us. And we have to talk about them, especially people like myself, who's a therapist or yourself as a parent. So um, do you talk about your own mental health with your children? I absolutely do. Yes, 100%. Beautiful. I do. I'm very, very open about it. You know, my kids, just last week I was, I don't know, I was in some sort of funky mood. And my mom was like, you need to call, my mom, my daughter Lila said, you need to call your therapist. 
like, you're right. I probably do. It was really funny. Trained well. God bless her. <laughs> right. Um, so let's talk a little bit about some of the heavier, you know, conversations around this, you know, for those individuals that are listening right now, and they might have a family member that's struggling with their mental health, how would you advise them to talk to that individual? Um, well, I would, you know, one approach it from a loving place. Um, try to, uh, when you use your words, use words like, I feel you may not be doing okay rather than you aren't doing okay. Or you, you know, come from a place of I and your caring concern and just ask, how are you feeling? Is there anything I can do to support you? And just keep with it if you don't feel comfortable with the first answer. But I think it's really important that we're aware of our words and we, we try to not use the words should, shouldn't um, with when we speak to others, especially about, you know, feelings and mental health and those sort of things. Yeah. Because it can lead to defensiveness. That's right. And I, and I love the tone and the word choice you used because it felt like it had a lot of care in it. And people that are struggling often can have some shame or guilt around that. You know, we're in a culture where everyone's all about the silver lining and positive thinking, and that's not honest or real for everyone, right? And so we have to be non-judgmental and really caring and sitting in those darkness. And unfortunately for those families who might have had someone um, who has, you know, died by suicide, what, what would you say to them? Um, I would just say find your support, whether that's with family or friends, you know, find the support within yourself, that self-care. Um, try to get professional help because it's such, it's such a huge, hard pathway in life. And it, 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 to be able to try to cope with all of that on your own, as well as take care of yourself and whatever else you have to do in your life can really be overwhelming to say the least. So, you know, I guess my biggest takeaway from that is just to find your support wherever that, wherever that lies and stick with that. And just be on your journey. I think sometimes for someone who maybe is a parent or even a boss, they feel like they have to get pulled together sooner or be better. And I always lovingly just remind people, go through your process, mourn, let it come up as it comes up, because I think we can complicate that bereavement or that mourning if people are made to feel guilty about that healthy process. Right. Yeah, I, I, that's interesting you say that. I actually was um, set to do um, an interview with with uh, the amazing Dr. Ashton this week. And it was causing me so much anxiety to think about being on air. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty close with her and we have, we've shared a lot and it was just, I don't know what it was, but I had to cancel. And I, I said, it. I just, it's causing me too much anxiety. It's not good for me, you know? And, and I think being able to, say that and verbalize that and that be okay that's really important too because um to try to press on through something where you're having a tough time or it's causing you 
you know, anxiety and, and not not anything positive. And it's okay to say say no. It's okay to set boundaries, and, and that's important. I love that you just said that. I love that you do that. I love that you did that. I think that's really hard for people in our culture. You know, a lot of my clients struggle to take their mental health or someone else's mental health seriously. And I love that. It's an interview. Your mental health means more than an interview. And we have to get better about setting those boundaries. But it's hard for people to honor them. And I think that's the difficulty. We have to set those boundaries, have to hold those boundaries. But I love that. Yeah, your mental health matters. If you had an injury, a physical injury, you hurt your leg, you hurt your arm, people would understand. But mental health, people really struggle to support that. Yeah. Yeah. And I knew, um, um, that, you know, Dr. Ashton would understand 110% the whole team would. And I felt that was safe, but you know, like if I think about that, if that, if I had to say that to someone I didn't know, like that would have been much harder. I, I would have definitely done it. I've learned how to set my boundaries a long time ago to protect myself, but it just, it just helps me. It just makes me more at peace and, and able to be a better, you know, the better version of myself. Yeah. And I, and I love you modeling that for your children. I'd rather you disappoint a friend or a loved one in prioritizing your mental health. I mean, we, we really have to start to do that. Um, Let's talk just very quickly about music and mental health music and suicide prevention. Um, how do you think that those inner intersect? Because I love the concept of using music to help us with our moods. Right. Right. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, my guess is from the, from the beginning of time when it was created, that's what it's been there for. You know, um, there's so many different types and the tones and melodies can, can really take you on an emotional journey. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm really sad we can't have in-person concerts. I know that was a source of healing for a lot of people, but um, I think the artists are doing a great job at trying to be present for the fans as virtually as much as they can. Um, and hopefully soon we'll be able to get back and see them again and, and kind of like be immersed in that to to help us along. Yeah. Yeah, it's good for our mood. It's also so important because we we have community through the bands we love and the shows we go to. I know as a teenager, that was where I made my friends, going to live shows. It's such an important part of our social life, our identity, but like you said, our mental health. Thank you so much to Linda Bennington. Coming up next, we're sliding into those DMs. All right, we're back. It's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world. We want you to explore with confidence. Our DMs come from our Loveline IG page. Just slide on in there. Drop them in. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, kind of a silly question, but I'd honestly be really interested to know, since you haven't really talked about it before, what do you think of the entanglement between Will and Jada Pickett-Smith and August Alsina? Laugh out loud. Kind of a silly question, but I was curious. Thanks. Um, Honestly, <laughs> I say this with all the love of my heart. It's a very interesting topic. It did, for a minute there, get a lot of headlines. I think it's none of our business. Again, for me, that falls under gossip. I don't care what they're doing. There's not, that's none of our business. Um, they're doing what makes sense to them, you know? But as a larger topic, so I'm always willing to springboard off and talk about it in a larger scale, uh, people make different decisions. Not everyone's always monogamous. And people will sometimes on their own use stepping outside of that commitment as a way to heal something. And not everyone's in a relationship where they can be honest or, you know, 
authentic about what's going on or what's missing and stepping outside or flirting or cheating or whatever words it happens to be, they'll use that. And that's a symptom of their unwillingness to deal with whatever they, you know, need to deal with. And I don't know if they had a open door policy. I don't know the details because I didn't dig deep because I honestly don't care. But topically speaking, don't always assume everyone's monogamous. That happened when Anderson Cooper was seen on a date kissing someone and not with his boyfriend of many years. Well, they were not monogamous. <laughs> so he was, you caught him doing nothing. Uh, so we never know what's going on in the relationship. We never know what their struggle is. And when we blast these things and we gossip, we just apply more pressure, anxiety, and stress than needs to be. I remember when Justin Timberlake was seen holding, I think, the uh, co-star's hand, and he thought he owed it to the world to make a public, a public apology. You didn't harm us. That's between you and your wife and whatever commitment you have. You don't owe the world an apology for cheating or not cheating or for feeling comfortable with platonic intimacy and holding someone's hand that you feel close to. That is none of our business. He did not owe us that. And we need to get back to that. Like, you know, worrying about what's worth worrying about. And so what do I think about it? I don't know. I hope that they did what they need to do. I hope they have the conversations they need to have. have. I hope they were honest with what their expectations are on each other. And maybe they're meant to be in an open relationship or open marriage. Maybe they already are. I don't know. But like, God bless. Go do your thing, you know? We got another one. Hey, Dr. Chris. I was married for about 11 years. And on top of all things were going wrong in 2020, we were also getting a divorce. We don't have kids, except he's taking our dog, which hurts. But anyways, my question for you is, do you have any tips for a newly single gay guy getting back out into the dating world and during a pandemic? Well, first off, now's not the best time, um, but yet it's the best time at the same time, right? What I mean by that is there's a lot of people that are lonely and isolated, and they're now more open than before to connect and have someone to go through this with, even if it's not in real time. But the bad time means it's a different world out there, one that won't be the case after all of this. So it's like an interim moment. But it's the dating apps. I have everyone who's single in my practice wanting to get out there dating to be on the single apps because um, that is where it's happening. And that gives us access around the clock when we're logged on and when we're not. It gives us a wide pull from which to find a possible partner. So get on those apps. You're going to learn a lot. It's good and it's bad out there, you know. But um, I think it's an okay time. I think it might help heal at whatever pain of the loss of relationship. It'll help you deal with the loneliness. You'll learn about yourself. But just go on there with your boundaries and, and acting and living from your confidence and also have ethics and compassion and don't harm people in the process. Don't, get, don't ghost. Don't body shame. Don't be sexually racist. Don't be racist. Um, just be very thoughtful. But I, I'm all about it. And if you meet someone you connect with, get on the phone. There's really amazing, adorable FaceTime dates it's very meaningful, very powerful. And I have a friend who is trying to follow the rules, also wants to date, met someone great on an app, and they go on hike dates. They're outdoors, which is which is needed. They wear masks and they socially distance, but they get to see each other. And that's what it's about. You can be out in the world, but you have to wear a mask, be distanced, not around crowds, and... Um, not for a long period of time, and then all's well. So I think now's a good time. We're going to be using a lot of old school forms of courtship and intimacy building, where a lot of FaceTiming, texting, sexting, webcam sex, whatever it is. And then when you see each other out in the world distance in that way, that'll be nice too. And it'll be forced to move a little slower, and that's not a bad thing, you know? But date multiple people. Dating isn't the relationship. Dating is to see if you want one. So get out there, talk to many people, date many people, sex with many people, because an 11-year marriage means that you stopped your sexual and relational development. 
and while everyone else who was single or dating was kind of progressing. And so you might be a little behind. You might not be aware of the terminology, how people are doing things now. So be kind on yourself, keep the bar low. But I think it could be a really nice addition and a little bit of like joy and pleasure in a really rough time. But I'm sorry to hear about the divorce. Maybe get a new pet. I love having my pet around. Maybe get a cat this time. You know, Sly in the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex world. And we want you to explore with confidence. Question of the night. It's up on our Love on IG page. Weigh in on that. We'll be right back with Dr. Christine Moutier to talk more about suicidality and keeping those we love safe. All right, and now we're back with our next guest, Dr. Christine Moutier. How are you? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Of course. So it's National Suicide Awareness Month. So of course, we're talking about this topic, which is really, really important. So I mean, one of the things we're trying to do here at I'm Listening is get people familiar talking about this. Uh, hearing others talk about this. So when we're dealing with suicide, suicidality, what are the things that we want to be thoughtful about in terms of those that we love in our lives? I think the first thing is to realize that people are struggling all around us and we all struggle at different times and that's normal, that's human. And the other thing about that though is that we tend to keep it pretty locked up. And so if you're noticing signs of distress or even just signs that they don't seem like they're quite their normal self, you know, that that could be an indication that it's just the tip of the iceberg and that it's time to have a really supportive, caring conversation and really again, like listen to what is happening in their life and, and tell them that you just want to understand so that you can support them more, that there's no judgment. You want to really be aware that that layer of shame is there for all of us at different times. So we have to kind of break through that. Yeah. And that's why whenever I interview a celebrity on the show, it's one of the questions I always ask them is how's your mental health, right? Which is just a way to normalize that even these wealthy, famous people are struggling, depressed, yeah. anxious. Every person is a human being, no matter what their, you know, fancy titles, education, pedigree, it doesn't matter. We, we are at the core of it. We're human. We have our physical health and we have our mental health and other things too, of course, our social health and spiritual health. And all of those things live on a continuum, but we can we can shape it in some ways. Genetics is not our destiny, you know, as, as is the case for physical health. Same is true for mental health. So Seriously. when we talk about uh, suicide prevention or enhancing mental health, the buzzword we throw around a lot is resilience. So what are we talking about when we talk about resilience? Yeah, I think it's a very um, individualized thing that we can tap into by reflecting on how do each of us tick? What are the things that fill up our resilience sort of coping reservoir, if you will? I think of like a tank of fuel that we are, we're constantly drawing from. And what are the things that actually fill it up? There are people who are sometimes toxic influences and others who are very supportive influences and, and other things, activities. You, you can decide what are, what are the times, what is the type of music, breathing exercises, what's the type of exercise that I tend to get the most out of. It's so, you know, your physical health does link up with your mental health as well. So those are all things that you can kind of reflect on and um, just take little steps. We're not aiming for perfection. That is not really attainable anyway. So it's just progress, not perfection. And let's talk quickly about social media. I think that that's a, a big influence on our mental health. You know, one of the things I keep talking about 
over and over is community care, collectivity, you know, thinking about the impact you're having on others. So how does social media play into that, considering all the trolling, the bullying? I think it's one of those things that is goes into that bucket of know yourself and figure out how do you dial things up towards a better state of well-being and stability? And there are probably many of us that um, social media will tend to kind of be all-consuming and all-absorbing all unless we set certain parameters or we think about, you know, do I need to actually unplug um, or block certain, you know, certain people or sites because they're not good for for our our resilience and our sense of well-being. I mean, it can go the other way too, where you can seek out those influences on social media who are really encouraging and, and join those communities. It kind of shapes your sense of not only the world you're living in, but also who you are. I mean, it, it's really very important in addition to like our, our IRL, our in, you know real life relationships, we can have some influence over how those goes. And it's the same thing on social media. I love that. Just And just checking in with yourself. How do I feel when I'm looking at someone's page that I'm following? How do I feel after I've been on my social media? And if you feel bad, unfollow some of that stuff. And then quickly, before I let you go, one of the stats I was looking at was talking about the higher rate of suicide with people that are male identified. Um, what do you make of that stat? Well, that's been a longstanding true thing about suicide rates and the differences between different demographic groups. So the deal is that none of us are immune from suicide risk. So we all need to take care of ourselves and, and again, shore up our resilience and really our protective factors. But you know, when you think about the way males, men, boys and men are socialized in most cultures, certainly including most in America, there is a, there's a, I think a very um, unrealistic expectation of being stoic and that that equates to being strong. And, you know, when you talk to um, your next male celebrity or athlete, especially one who's been well-practiced or in therapy, they're going to tell you that they actually are having better success in their relationships if they're an athlete on the field when they are taking care of their mental health. So it turns out that um, men and women really benefit from processing our experiences. And especially if they're like, if we've experienced trauma or any just charged up emotions, we're gonna have a better outcome if we process those. So, I mean, there's a whole lot there about the gender difference with suicide. Part of it is also access to lethal means and um, impulsivity. And, you know, so there there are some differences between the genders, but, but certainly I think what we can be doing is all of us contributing to in improvements and progression in our culture where men are also encouraged to talk and and you know to be reminded that that is actually something that that they're going to benefit from and their loved ones their significant others are going to find very attractive so the it's kind of like they, we were told a lie about toxic masculinity right. being right. you know a good thing yep it, it heals us all to do that work of moving away from it thank you so much dr christine moutier you can catch more of talinda bennington and dr moutier on i'm listening our mental health show that airs every thursday at 5 p.m pacific 8 p.m eastern on radio.com All right, we're back. Question of the night, as always, is up on our Loveline IG page, and the story is so in on that. 
then we'll be sliding on into those DMs. All right, right now let's talk about singledoms, singles, those wild singles who don't want to date. This is the kind of stuff I love. There's a cultural expectation that everyone's always on their path from singledom to relationship and that everyone's goal is relationship, everyone's on their way there if they're not in one already. And we don't hold space for the fact that that's just one path. Some people need to be working towards singledom, right? We should be saying to some people, why aren't you single? Why aren't you single more? Get out of that relationship. You know, go through some more developmental stages. Some people that are single are happy because they're single. You know, and I write about that in both my books, but Rebel Love, I focus a lot on what's going on. And we talk a little bit about toxic monogamy. And I think a lot of the reasons why people don't want to be in a relationship is because the way that a lot of people run or think of relationships, because of what they've been taught, because of what they've seen, because of the ones they've been in, where for some, it's really abusive. It's quite toxic. They get into a relationship and it makes their life smaller, more confined. They lose control. They think they need to ask permission to do things, right? They aren't as viable out in the world. The world's less accessible. They're not as supported or at all, maybe in some cases, sadly, seeing friends and family members or you know, participating in different things out of the home. So if that's what does happen for you in relationships, it's understandable you don't want one because we don't have to have them. It's something we should be in because it adds joy and pleasure to our lives. Relationships take work, but they shouldn't make our lives worse and they shouldn't be toxic. So remember that. Relationships have conflict and they can take some work sometimes, but they shouldn't be toxic, bad for us, nor should they make us worse off, negatively impact us and decrease the quality of our life and the other you know, areas of our lives that are meaningful in terms of their quality. So it should be enhancing, neutral. So really pay attention to that. And that's part of it. Toxic monogamy is the way that we run monogamy. And the way that we do it, again, is one of being threatened by everything in the world. People use words like emotional cheating, meaning you have a deep emotional relationship with someone else. Yeah, that's called friendship. That's sought out. I want people to have that. So it's kind of messy how we run things. Um, and also, studies show that when people get married, they backslide into traditional ways of being. And sexism shows up where people get forced into boxes. And a lot of people don't want that. And then they can't find a partner that's healthy enough to think outside of that, where maybe they don't want monogamy, maybe they don't want marriage, maybe they don't want to cohabitate, or bigger than that, maybe they don't want the gendered roles and expectations on them. And so I think it's things like that that are pushing back on people wanting relationships. They also see the high cheating rate, the high divorce rate. And right now we have one of the highest rates of singledom that we've ever had. I think that's a lot of it. People have other goals and aspirations. People realize they don't have to be in a relationship, that sex, joy, and intimacy is available via friends, via hookups, via casual things, and that you can just casually date off into the sunset forever. You can have friends and sex partners. Um, the things that we used to get from relationships, we now can get otherwise. And it's not a sad or bad. It's just different. Um, it's an expansion. You know, and I'm seeing that where people are doing what we call things like relational anarchy, which means no one's my number one. I have multiple people in my life, friends, loved ones, romantic partners, and they all get the same love, care, and attention. Not everyone wants this idea that my romantic partner is my number one and they come before everything. Some people are like, no, I don't like that vertical hierarchy. It's more horizontal for me, right? So a study came out from the Pew Research Center and basically it looked at singledom and what single people want. And, you know, we usually assume that it was everyone who's single wants to be coupled, but the findings based on a national random sampling uh, showed that 50% of single people are not interested in a committed romantic relationship. And some aren't even interested in a date. And that's because either they're burnout on toxic relationships or they have other goals or they want their energy towards something else or they're in no rush. You know, where they're getting their needs met other way. Their friends are mostly there for them. They're having sex with others and all's well. Also to note is that 10% uh, wanted nothing more than casual dates. 
So again, that's like a huge stereotype buster, right? Because we used to think the opposite. Um, there was though, hold on, looking at the studies I'm talking to you, there was one strong, consistent finding though. And that was that people who have tried, listen to this, this is powerful. People who have tried marriage before, you know, and now they're divorced or maybe they're widowed, they're more so unlikely to want to try it again. And that is my point. They've been in it. It wasn't healthy or good and didn't go well. And they're thinking, why do that again? And maybe they won't get married. Maybe they'll just have a committed partnership, you know, Oprah and Stedman. Or maybe they'll just casually date. I don't know. You know, I asked my mom that. My father passed a couple years ago and she's like, I'm good on my own. You know, she's like, I intend to and want to remain single. I did that. That happened. That was beautiful. I'm good now. And we don't have a lot of examples like that or of Oprah type style where they've been together forever. They're not going to get married ever. They don't want it or need it. And we don't have a lot of role models and people question that. Like something must be wrong or off. Oh, you must be commitment phobic or intimacy phobic if you don't get married. Really? Marriage is a, you know, you know, marriage is a, like, as I was just saying, sorry, I got cut off, is a, like a federal and state contract. A lot of people don't want that in their relationship. They're key, they want the government out. And I've said before, if we never sign contracts, then that would mean your partner has to always be a good partner because they can leave at any time if they want. And that's a good level of pressure. And they should be able to leave whenever they want. I don't think you just have to go through financial and social obstacles to get out of something if it's no longer serving you. And a relationship shouldn't be something that's difficult to get in of or out of. It should be based on we want to be here because we want to be here. And if we don't, we should go. And that's a good thing, right? And relationships aren't, always supposed to have longevity to them. So I really appreciate what's coming out of this and I hope that it normalizes other ways of being. Because again, half these people said, I'd rather stay single, you know? And remember, across all the single people, whether previously married or always having been single, 50% said, we're good. We are good exactly as we are. That's, that's huge. So some of the other stats that I think were kind of interesting is that more women than men have no interest in romantic relationships or dating. So is the women that had no interest. And that's, again, a cultural question mark because for many, it's always the females that are trained and socialized to be wanting marriage, seeing it as the goal, picturing themselves in their dress, wearing their mother's wedding dress. And I like seeing that some of these women are like, you know what? I don't need to participate in some of these traditional ways of being to be a female or to be a girlfriend or to be a mother. There's all these diverse ways of doing things. I can have sex without a relationship or without marriage. I can focus on my career. And we get our needs met in other ways. So I think singledom's gonna stick around for a while. I think we might stay in the 50-50 where people are in it when they wanna be because it's good for them and not when it isn't. But again, you got to really look at that, that those that were already in one were like, no good, I'm not going back. And that's because the way we run it. And that's kind of what we do here just even on Loveline and in my books. I'm always trying to just give people a better way of being that might have more health and sustainability so these relationships last. All right, coming up next, question of the night. So weigh in on that. Few few minutes left. Listen to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, time for question of the night. Since we're stuck in quarantine, here are some quarantine date ideas. Walk the dogs at a local animal shelter. I actually love that. Make a bonfire. It depends where you live. Book an Airbnb. Plan a sexy FaceTime date. Question of the night was, what fun, safe date ideas have you gone on or wanted to try? Ah, uh, yes, COVID dating and sexuality. Gotta get creative, gotta get old school, gotta kinda let go a little bit. Uh, first person said, mini golf at home. Even in a one-bedroom apartment, get creative with tissue boxes, cups, and cat tunnels. See, I love stuff like that. Dead serious. I appreciate time and effort and care. 
So if someone sets something up that might be corny to others, I'm like, I'm all in because it's usually about just spending time with the person I want to spend time with. And it's not rooted in what we're doing. Sometimes it is, but cuteness will always be really meaningful to most of us. Most of us, not all of us. So when in doubt, go cute. When in doubt, go old school. When in doubt, Google. Uh, question of the night, what fun safe date ideas have you gone on or wanted to try? Someone said exploring our sexual fantasies for each other by writing or texting long stories. Bam, blam. I love that. Why? Well, it's hot and fun, so there's eroticism. It's also just another level of psychological and emotional intimacy to be that vulnerable and to really share your true sexuality. And that's hard for a lot of us because that's one of the most vulnerable places we have, what turns us on, who we are sexually, all that's tied in there, our thoughts about our partner. So I think that's really sweet and adorable. Do it as always only with a safe partner, meaning someone who you know won't shame or judge and will just say, ah, thank you for sharing that. Or I find that hot or wow, I was never into that, but great that you are because that's always the work, right? Is we don't want to sexually shame people. That's psychological and emotionally abusive. Uh, you don't have to be interested in it or turned on. It's not about you. It's someone sharing who they are. And you can say, yeah, I'm down for that. Or I might, but change some things or maybe say no. And that's okay. But don't judge or shame it. You know, we don't want to judge or shame what someone else is eating or wearing. Like, good, then you don't eat it. You don't wear it, right? People can express who they are sexually and just needs to be acknowledged. Just validate. Say, that's great. You know, I'm glad you're that confident. But more importantly, always say thank you. Thank you for sharing that with me. Thank you for wanting that intimacy with me. Thank you for caring enough to bring that in. You know, say thank you. Um, what else do we got? Question tonight. What fun, safe date ideas have you gone on or wanted to try? Someone said drive-ins would be fun. <sighs> Some of y'all don't even know what that is. Drive-ins... They were kind of winding down when I was a kid, but there was something really adorable about it. And I liked it because in movies, you're a little bit at the mercy of the people around you and how loud they're being and they're moving around. But in a drive-in, you're in your car and there's a speaker that you're playing that's either hanging on the car window on the inside or you turn it to a channel. And so you're not impacted by whatever anyone around you is doing. It's just quiet and it's private, but yet you're out of the world. You're out in the world, excuse me. And there's a huge screen and you get the snacks. It's really adorable. And you put your seats back. So like the seats are comfortable. The tickets aren't expensive. It's private enough where the cars around you, their windows are closed and you don't have to deal with them. And I like that because people don't know how to act right in movie theaters. Like I can't deal with all the noise and the movement and the talking and it's very distracting for me. Um, so drive-ins, I always thought really sexy and adorable. So I love that. Question tonight, what fun safe date ideas have you gone on or wanted to try? Someone said, I've been trying to get someone to rent a Duffy boat with me and go out on the water. Socially distanced, laugh out loud. I love being on the water. So if you have the finances and access to, to um, a boat, all right. I think that's kind of rad. Be careful though. A lot of people can get seasick, especially if they're not familiar or used to boating. But um, I like that. That's actually really interesting and diverse. Question tonight, what are some fun safe date ideas you've gone on or wanted to try? Someone said, we were going to take a Spanish class together at the local JC. Forgot to sign up though. But I love that because when you're learning a new language, you want to practice with someone. And I think that that can be adorable in a way you bond, you know, speaking this new language, sending messages and notes, being in class together. Oh, there's a sweetness in that. You guys, those are really good ideas. I wasn't expecting to hear um, so many creative, diverse ways. But again, there's so much we can do, right? And in dating, it should be about just spending time together. You can go to museums and galleries online and you can both be looking at the same page and talking about what you're seeing. I think that's, I, I love that. I love stuff like that. You can watch a, a streaming show together at the same time. 
uh, FaceTime meals together, going for hikes or walks outside, picnics. Because again, it's the safe spaces are ones where we're socially distanced and wearing our masks, but we're outdoors and we're not near crowds. And so picnics, walks, hiking. I love going on walks. And those are adorable dates for me because we're just talking. And the city or the backdrop is just a landscape. You're commenting on it, you're engaging it, you're there together. They're just talking. And so, but also Google around. Some cities have some things that maybe are safe to go out and do, but rooftop restaurants while distanced, like you said, the boating, the drive-ins. Um, yeah, it really depends on the city you're in though, right? Because some cities and states are more shut down than others. Um, yeah, God bless it. All right, that's that question tonight as always is up on our Love on IG page. So there's already a new one up there. Weigh in on that. Coming up next, DMs. Listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back and now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world. We want you to explore with confidence. The DMs, they come from our Loveline IG page. Slide on in there, drop your questions, and then head on over to the uh, stories and weigh in on the question of the night, which is always up. This DM says, hey, Dr. Chris, my name is Mike. I found myself super depressed and tired over the last few weeks in particular. I think it comes from police killing black people. I'm nervous that even after the pandemic, this feeling will stay. Is there any way that I can deal with this long-term? I really wasn't known for depression before this, but I'm just so stuck, I can feel nothing. Nothing is making me feel better. Um, that's a healthy response. You know, there's nothing uh, disordered in that. We, we should all feel bad. In fact, the people that don't, that's my big question. How are you feeling okay with all that's going around you? So we should feel bad, feel bad. That means you're feeling your feelings. Mental health is about being able to drop into a full range of feelings, so you're healthy. I've had a lot of depression anxiety too, based on climate change and how we are not focusing on the environment. Uh, Black Lives Mattering, watching people not care, uh, hearing Trump and Trump supporters, the pandemic, there's a lot to, to feel bad about. So my number one answer is it feels hopeless, it feels helpless, we feel disengaged. Activism, that's your solution, get involved. Why? It'll make you feel involved, you'll, you'll feel part of the change. A, because we can't just lean back and complain about things bad, we gotta do something. B, it will make you feel empowered. You'll see change happening. It'll be part of progress. It'll be part of history. So I think that's part of it. Us just sitting back feeling bad isn't going to alleviate anything. It's not going to help anything. It's not going to reduce anything. It's not going to change anything. Start activism. Posting things on your social media, joining, organizing, right? Talking to your company and other companies about why there are no people of color in power, positions of power or employed at all, right? reading books to dismantle our own racism or other forms of oppression, right? Marching, boycotting and not supporting companies, looking at where your money's going, supporting black-owned businesses. Every time I'm shopping these days, especially because most of my shopping's online, I look for black-owned first, then I look for queer-owned second, and if I can find black and queer, game on. I'll, I'll, I'll order up to triple really want to support those companies and those individual identities and people. So there's a lot you can do, but get involved, make a change and be an activist. That is what I want you to do and feel the depression. We should be. Stuff is messed up and it's not getting better. So we should feel, and we should feel real scared about the election coming. So that's the other final thing you can do to create macro level changes. Because the micro levels just don't watch the news. Okay, great, welcome to your life of privilege where you can just turn off the news and you're not impacted. We also have to go on the macro level and work on dismantling it in ways we can in the world. So the other thing to do is register to vote. Make sure everyone around you is registered to vote. Make sure they're all getting their ballots, dropping them off at the supervisor of elections, which you Google and find, or at a, a ballot place and then track it and follow up 
or go wait in line with a little brown bag and food because you're going to be in line for a while and vote. But that's the other thing. It takes minutes. I want everyone listening. If you are not registered to vote, the minute you finish this podcast, as it's winding down in a couple minutes, you go right on and Google registering to vote. And you do so, a couple minutes. And then you get your ballot and you send it back. Reach out to your loved ones and say, hey, have you registered to vote? No? Oh, we're right here. Look, notice in your text message, I just texted you a link. I'll wait. Log on. We'll do it together. Get it done. That's what you do. But otherwise, we feel helpless, we feel powerless, and we become, and I say this with love, part of the problem. Just sitting in those feelings, doing nothing, right? But otherwise, we're supposed to feel bad. Bad things are happening. That's mental health. You know what I mean? I'm not going to help... I don't want to help someone move away from something that's not pathological or bad, you know? So feel those feelings. That's what's going to motivate us. But um, yeah, I'm bummed out seeing everything going on around. That's a healthy response. And I wish people were doing a little. So do better. Um, okay. That is our show. I'm listening live. That's my live stream show every Thursday night. You can check it out on all the radio.com handles. So go check that out. That's their Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. And also old Loveline podcast episodes at wearechannelq.com. So go check those out and register to vote. Make sure everyone around you is. And uh, have an awesome weekend. Remember, you are doing number one, self-care. Number two, joy and pleasure. And number three, a lot of rest. Wrap them all up into one thing, or maybe it's three diverse things, but root your weekend in that. Um, I will see you back on Monday at 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern. Y'all have an awesome, awesome weekend. And as always, thanks for hanging out.